Welcome to the St Albans podcast, bringing you news, views and reviews for the city and district of St Albans. Joining us now on the St Albans podcast for our regular look at uh, books that are ones that we should read. We should, we're not should, we don't have to, it's free choice, you know, but uh, if you are looking for book choices, then you should look no further than the recommendations from our very own literary correspondent, Claire Hobber. Hello, Claire. Hello, Danny. Hi. So uh, last month it was all memoirs and you're still sticking with the letter M for this month, aren't you? Myths, yeah. So I heard um, a literary agent the other day say everybody is mad for myth at the moment and uh, I guess it could be reassurance, couldn't it, in um, in times when you can go to bed with a stable economy one night and wake up with the pound plummeting the next morning. Um, in times when we're being warned about climate crisis, in times when there's war in Ukraine and sabre rattling from Russia, um, I guess we're looking for stability, for things which have their roots thousands of years ago and are just ripping good stories for a start. So myths is what a lot of people are reading at the moment, retold in modern form. Okay, Uh, tell us about your first choice. So my first choice is Electra by Jennifer Saint. Uh, She recently came to Books on the Hill and did a talk about her book. And uh, um, it's about the ancient character of Electra. You may, if you had a brush with psychology, have heard of um, the Electra complex. Uh, And that kind of springs from this character who had a complicated relationship. She had torn loyalties between her brother and her father and indeed her mother, So a very complex, in that one character, you get a perspective on the family uh, because her myth relates, it's the aftermath of the war with Troy. Her father was Agamemnon, and when he arrived home from war with Troy, his mother, her mother rather, Clytemnestra, murdered him. So uh, many people will say Clytemnestra had a point because Agamemnon had done... Uh, at least two terrible things, the first of which was in setting off for war with Troy. Um, He had the whole Greek fleet lined up. He was going to go back and fetch Helen, who had been carried off, fetch Helen back from Troy, uh, his brother's wife. Um, But he couldn't get the fleet going because there was no wind. So in those days, if you couldn't get what you wanted, you sacrificed to the gods. The gods demanded the sacrifice of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra's oldest daughter, Iphigenia, so Electra's older sister. She was still a young girl. And to get her to go to Aulis, where the fleet was parked, moored, um, they told her that she was going to marry the beautiful hero Achilles. So she went dressed as a bride, but he sacrificed her to the gods and uh, got a fair wind and uh, sailed off to Troy. And this made Clytemnestra mad, the death of her daughter Iphigenia. But also, um, when he came back from Troy, he didn't bring like a bottle of wine and a box of chocolates for his long waiting wife. He brought a concubine called Cassandra, who, and her tale also is covered in this book because she had nothing to do with this. She was an unwilling victim. Um, And uh, I think between the two things and probably many other things, Clytemnestra felt it justified to murder him. And... Then the question was, should her children take vengeance? And if so, against whom? You know, should they be on Clytemnestra's side or Agamemnon's side? So um, is this a way of maybe an easy way of accessing um, some of these sort of great 
um, Greek myths and and, and uh, legends that because because much would have been written over the years about all sorts of various Greek characters and some of these these epic tales, uh, but but for some they might. There might be those who think, well, you know, it's a little bit heavy for me. But 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 are, are books like this a way of finding out those stories? And it, you know, are, are they easy? To, are they easier to read than you know some great historical text on the same subject? Enormously easier to read. So um, I'd always stand up for the Odyssey. I think that actually a good translation of the Odyssey. You can read that now and just be wowed by it. But something like the Iliad, where there's a lot of fighting and killing, frankly, it is very fighting and killing heavy, um, is much easier to access through the writing of modern writers. And so Stephen Fry has written from, well, I suppose from the point of view of an omniscient narrator. So he's he's told the stories, but with a light touch and a bit of humour. But um, many of the retellings have been from the women's point of view. So traditionally, um, as a reflection of the ancient society in which they were written, these tales don't encompass the point of view of the woman. Um, but the authors, in fact, all the authors that we're talking about today are looking for a woman's point of view on this. You know, what was it like to be, I guess, enslaved, trafficked, whatever. Uh, and the other thing, that we, that sounds pretty grim, and actually it was, but they all also go for rays of hope and um, outcomes which are uplifting because I guess that is also part of a woman's lot that you take this mess essentially that you've been cast into and you make something of it so um, although they are often difficult subject matter that the authors actually are true to women throughout the centuries and come up with hopeful endings. Okay. Now, I gather that this is not the first time that this author has uh, has, has written uh, something in this sort of it, like area, in this in this kind of genre. Uh, she has form for this, doesn't she? She does indeed. So her, her previous hit book was Ariadne. Ariadne was the, probably remember, the um, woman who um, turned against her own family in order to help Theseus get out of the labyrinth after she had killed his brother, Asterion, the Minotaur. So she risked everything to help Theseus. And what did he do? He uh, dumped her on a Greek island, Naxos, and then sailed on and later married her sister, Phaedra. Okay. I mean, it's such rich storytelling, isn't it? There's so much, uh, so much there uh, for us to sort of, you know, to sort of soak up and, 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 um, yeah, I mean, it, there's a reason why why people have been studying um, this sort of classic literature for 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 years now. I think I think at least four or five years now. This is this has been something that people have studied, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's at least four or five years. I would say yeah. So I mean, what to be honest, it's not just something that you study. So um, I do the classical stories sometimes with school children, and they are set alight by it. And the the author that doesn't come up here because I guess this is mainly for adults, but the author who is setting them alight is Rick Riordan, who um, retells the Perseus myth and many others for uh, older children and um, teenagers. And uh, I've read some of them, and they are such fun. They are brilliant, again, retellings that make it all accessible and okay. give these children an encyclopedic knowledge of the myths and I think this is the key. They're brilliant stories. All we need is for somebody to tell them in a way that we can access them, just as you were saying, Danny. 
Yeah. And now I came across this kind of genre, if you want, of, of um, books not that long ago through my book group, where the book that we read was Circe by Madeline Miller. Uh, and, uh, and and that was taking another female character from Greek literature and, and retelling the tale, but perhaps in a slightly more, I say modern way, I don't mean that at all. It wasn't, the, the tale was still set at the same time, but but it read more like a, a novel of today. It didn't feel like I would have expected a very old novel to have read. Yeah, Madeline Miller, again, she doesn't come up today because she hasn't produced anything recently. She takes her time and produces something amazing. Um, but Madeline Miller is definitely my hero. And uh, I love Circe and, and the one that she wrote before that, perhaps even more, The Song of Achilles, where she writes that one very imaginatively from the point of view of Proculus, um, Achilles' gay lover, okay. which, um, although many, weirdly, many classicists will argue um, fiercely that they were just good friends, but I think I think many of us suspect, as Madeline did, that there was more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's modern prejudice is creeping into something historical. Well, I guess there's a lot in that because you can't really step in the same river twice. You can't. One of the things that's really difficult to understand is the religiosity of the people then. So um, you look at society in ancient Greek and Roman times and everything was concerned with religion. So they didn't do a theatre play without first dedicating it to the gods. They didn't do a gladiator fight without first dedicating it to the gods. In the corner of everybody's home was a little shrine to the gods. Um, so that yeah, there are, uh, and there are various arguments about Greek culture and the extent to which homosexuality played a part. Um, you know, and was approved of or disapproved of. And, and, and it's a complex picture. It's not straightforward. And we can't ever really say what they thought then. And most novelists actually don't try. They know that they are not reproducing the authentic spirit of the age. Uh, and they know, they confess, you'll read it in the acknowledgements or in the preface, that they're using their imagination to fill in the gaps and make it relatable for us. Okay. Electra is your first book choice by Jennifer Saint, who, uh, and, and it's pretty fresh book as well it came out this year i see that jennifer saint is working on another book atalanta which comes out next year uh, but I, another one featuring a, a sort of a, a classical greek heroine um, so uh, that's uh, claire's book first book choice let's go straight into your second one uh, because uh, it's it's a similar era really isn't it it's it's uh, you know there's a, there's a degree of overlap would would you say with this next one yeah, certainly. So Agamemnon, who um, is the person who gets topped in Electra, is one of the main characters in the one of the main male characters in the Trojan Women. So there already is a play by Euripides called The Trojan Women. Um, and I think I might have misrepresented the Pat Barker there. I think her book is called The Women of Troy. OK, so her book is called The Women of Troy. And Euripides' play is called The Trojan Women. So you, this was 2,500 years old, this play, but Euripides, in a very male-dominated, male-oriented society, um, drops into the room where the women of Troy are waiting to hear their fate. So these are usually the higher-born women, and they're going to be uh, enslaved, and they're finding out who will their captors be, and wh whose household will they become, a servant or a concubine or whatever. And the worst of it is they are the highborn women. So any sons that they have are potentially um, rivals for the throne. They might grow up to be a threat to 
wreak revenge on their male captors. So there's also this awful waiting to see what happens to their sons and the outcome isn't good. Um, Pat Barker has, so there already was a kind of feminist, I don't know whether it's too strong to call it feminist, a feminist play about these women, 2,500 years old. And Pat Barker, who is a great writer, she's probably, um, I think anybody would um, praise Pat Barker as a great writer. Um, And she has looked at this again through modern eyes. She already established her heroine, Brissice, in her previous book, The Silence of the Girls. She's a woman who, in the Iliad, she's high-born and she gets taken to the Trojan camp. She's very beautiful. So she is considered... So women here are being treated as war booty, as the spoils of war. And because of her beauty, she's like the best thing. She's the biggest gold cup, as it were. She's the biggest prize. So the biggest prize goes to Achilles. He gets precise to take back to his tent. But Agamemnon doesn't like Achilles getting the biggest prize. So he uh, takes precise. So she tells the story from her point of view. Um, and that, again, is really compelling. And the only reason that's not here today is because... Uh, the Women of Troy is a more recent novel. Um, and this is what happens after. It's the same. So the war is finished by this point, And this is how they break up and clear up and get ready to go home. And what happens to the women and the one or two men who are left over from Troy and their fates. Now, uh, you mentioned that this is the second part of a, a series. Do you think you'd need to read the first part first? No. or? So it does It does stand on its own and you can catch up with what's happened previously? I would think so, yeah. Okay. Um, and I noticed that there is um, a third one of this series that's not due out until 2024, So, um, th- but apparently it's called The Voyage Home by Pat Barker. Uh, so whether this is a, a, an intended trilogy or whether it's more than that, I don't know, but the, the, there is a third one, but not for a long while yet. Um, but. No. Uh, but The Women of Troy is the uh, second choice that Claire Hopper has selected for today, and it's by Pat Barker. The three book choices that Claire has made today will all be in the description of this uh, podcast episode right now. You can find it in the podcast notes. Hi, I'm Chris Aikman. Join me, local author Howard Linsky, and St Albans podcast producer Sam Rolfe for this St Albans Film Guide. Each week, one of us will guide you through the new releases at the cinema and on streaming services. We'll also give you our choice of the best films to watch on UK free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. So if you're a film lover, join us for a chat about all things movie-related every week as part of the St Albans podcast. New episodes will be released every Friday morning. For more information, visit stalbanspodcast.com or find us where any good podcasts are found. We're back with our book correspondent, uh, Claire Hover, and this month we're looking at uh, myths. Uh, and, and Claire has brought three recommendations to us this month. Well, we've already discussed two of them, uh, but tell us now about the third one, Stone Blind. Yes, Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. So that's out this year, again, another very recent one. Now, as I say, it's a big trend at the moment. So if you haven't read one of these, do have a look. Now, Natalie Haynes, I'm a big fan of her. She's a very, very knowledgeable about the classics and also very, very funny. So she does stand up comedy and I've seen her live and she also has a Radio 4 series where she'll um, look at several situations or characters and give them the comic treatment so you can find that on BBC Sounds Um, may also be available as a podcast in fact I'm sure it's available as a podcast Um, 
And she's had a series recently, which is really... And in fact, the Iliad, which is the story of the war with Troy, is, forms one of the parts of that. Uh, this book is about somebody who was crying out for a feminist reinterpretation. So Medusa, everybody's heard of Medusa, uh, snaky hair, a gaze that can turn you to stone. Uh, but the backstory to Medusa, so not a huge amount is known, but the backstory to Medusa is she was a lovely young woman who served in the temple of the goddess Athena. So Athena is the goddess of wisdom and knowledge and military strategy and craftspeople. And her Roman name is Minerva. And she, of all the goddesses, she's the one that I guess modern women probably most identify with. It's She's the one that um, young women might like to be identified with. But just like we were saying, you can't, look at things through a modern lens things were not the same then so what happened to Medusa was that serving in the temple of Athena she caught the eye of Poseidon the god of the sea who came into the temple and raped her and so who got punished for that who did Athena punish for having sex in her temple she punished not Poseidon who was entirely the author of the act but Medusa and that is how Medusa who was once a very beautiful young woman got her snaky hair and her stony gaze, and became cursed effectively. And Natalie Haynes um, has created much of this out of her imagination, but she tells the story of a young woman who actually didn't want to harm people and tries to hide away so that her powers do not cause harm to mortals and so forth, and um, creates a stunning work of fiction through that. How does it make you feel when an author embellishes what's there when they're, they're sort of reinterpreting a historical thing because does it does it sit comfortably with you do, do you sometimes think well I'm not sure that that's helpful because that's not part of the mythology or, or, or does it genuinely not bother you no so with something like um mythological tales because they have been around for thousands of years there's actually a separate discipline in classics called classical reception so you can tell the story of the way our society changes by looking at the way that they have looked at different myths and different characters in the history and the mythology through time and the way that they've interpreted them. So if you look at Circe, who you were talking about earlier, who is a sorceress who uses, um, I guess, magic and spells to achieve what she wants, you know, um, back in time she might have been treated as a dangerous witch by societies who feared the power of women and witchcraft. Today, she's seen much more as a role model, being a, a knowledgeable, powerful woman who um, finds ways around male power to get what she wants. So, um, so that in itself, the way each society interprets the stories tells us about the, uh, about the society itself. Um, and... I would say that something like Natalie Haynes, because she also has studied the classics, you know, formally in a university setting, is very self-reflective about exactly what she's doing. So in her notes, she'll tell you which bits she made up and which bits, you know, actually existed. On the bits that actually existed, you'd have about two paragraphs. So in order to present this as a novel, she has had to work quite hard on it. But that that's quite interesting, though, isn't it, that, um, that, that she has made that distinction in in the notes i'm sure you mentioned before when we looked at historical novels that that some of the authors made it quite clear which bits were the history and which bits were their interpretation you know the coloring in between the bits that we know 
Uh, and it sounds like that adds more credence to what's what's being covered. I think it adds more credence and also forestalls any objections that you've tinkered with it and altered it and ruined it. Well, you know, I think it's it means that, you know, if anybody's um, jibbing at it and criticising you, you can say, look, I have made it quite clear that that's not in the original myth. That is my own. It's often filling in of the gaps. It is often well, we don't actually know what happened. It's it's very rarely do they alter things and make them end in a different way or whatever. They're usually yeah. filling in gaps where nobody knows anything about what happened in between. They're a young person and an old person, you know. Sure. Okay, that's uh, Stone Blind Medusa's story by Natalie Haynes. Uh, that's the third of Claire's choices this month. All of Claire's choices can be found in the uh, episode notes and also on our website, stoneolbanspodcast.com, where you can also find information about Claire's creative writing um, endeavours because uh, Claire runs various creative writing classes all over the shop. And uh, we have uh, one that's still on at the moment over at Books on the Hill on Tuesdays. Are there any spaces left on that course? That course is is fully booked, actually, and it's going extremely well. So we're hoping to run another one after Christmas. Okay. And the details will be on their website and hopefully also on this podcast. Okay. Um, but, but you do have another one, a one-off uh, in October, the, on October the 15th at St Albans Cathedral, don't you? Yeah, now that one is still booking. Um, St Albans Cathedral, we're doing moments of illumination. So often in a short story, uh, there is a moment where either the protagonist of the story or maybe not them, but the reader, they change their perspective and realise something that they didn't know before. Uh, and that's the point on which the story turns. So we're looking at those moments where everything changes, where your perception changes or the protagonist suddenly decides, I don't know. So uh, one example might be they realise that somebody's been pushing them around and they're going to stand up for the, uh, for themselves in future. That's the kind of revelation that can make a short story, just one example. So we're going to look at moments like that. And it's to our workshop on the morning of October the 15th and there are details you're giving out details Danny and booking is through the cathedral website St Albans Cathedral. Yeah people can just go to the episode notes right now and they'll see the link to that or they can also go to our website stalbanspodcast.com and they can find the information there. Um, that does sound more like something that would, would quite comfortably fill two hours. When you said moments of illumination, I was thinking, you know, a scene where somebody walks in a room and turns on a light. I thought you, you can have a job padding that out but it's a bit more yeah, don't that. forget that the Abbey also does fireworks, so that could be another moment of illumination. And and in all seriousness, what actually inspired it was that they're having a light show um, at half term where the normal sort of lofty and solemn interior of the cathedral is being lit up in all sorts of amazing ways and the space is being transformed. And I thought, can I relate a writing workshop to that? Okay. Well, yeah, then, you know, what a what a great way of doing it. So uh, well, you can find out more about that and more about Claire as well from the various links that are in uh, the episode notes and on our website, sonobanspodcast.com. Uh, Claire Hobber, thank you very much once again for, for sharing with us some uh, some ideas on books that we can read. And we look forward to hearing from you around about the same time next month. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening to this edition of the St Albans Podcast with Danny Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a podcast platform of your choice. This will help us reach more listeners. Join us, the St. Albans Podcast, next Wednesday for more news, views and reviews. In the meantime, commit no nuisance. Produced by Samantha Rolfe. Logo and artwork by David Ellis. This is an independent production in association with the Heart Advertiser. 
If you would like to become a community partner or a sponsor of the podcast, please visit stalbanspodcast.com for more details.